It's the third homestand of the season, and Walters is ready to be your pre- and post-game spot this weekend. Bottomless Brunch begins at 11 a.m. on both Saturday and Sunday. Enjoy bottomless mimosas, Bloody Marys, Truly, and Bud Light for just $20 with your purchase of a brunch entree. Be it beer, burgers, bourbon, or baseball, we encourage you to walk on over to Walters. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. During these weekend homestands, Walters is the perfect spot to hang out in Navy Yard before, during, and after the game. Now the kick in the pitch. Swing and a foul tip held by Gomes. Strike three and a curly W's in the books. After the walk to Sierra, both strikes out the next three batters. On a curly W in the books and a series win for the Nationals, who take the first two of three for the Marlins. The Nationals 7 and the Marlins 2. That's called a winning streak. It has happened before. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, May 2nd, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, don't look now, but the Nationals have themselves a three-game winning streak for the first time this season, and the Nats now are a mere game below 500 at 11-12. A 7-2 win over the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park on Saturday afternoon. Patrick Corbin, terrific for a second time this season. The Nationals offense tattoos the Marlins starter, Paul Campbell, and then an old pal, the former Nats pitcher, Ross Detweiler. Nats put up all seven of their runs over the first four innings, and the Nationals mark a chance to author their first three-game sweep of the season on Sunday. Good things are happening, Al. It's starting to come together. (laughs) And I don't know, did we think this was coming? Maybe we saw some glimpses of it, but for all the things they've had to deal with over the first month of the season, and they've had to deal with maybe more than almost any team in baseball. The fact that they're 11 and 12, a chance at a sweep with Max Scherzer on the mound. I mean, look, they still have their issues. I'm not going to try to say that this team is, you know, ready to, to be a World Series contender, but I give them credit. The way they've hung in there, you do see some positive developments and signs coming, and they're beating up on a team that, you know, frankly, I think they feel like they probably should beat. And that's a great sign. If you can start doing that and maybe get on a little bit of a roll here, and they could sweep the weekend and be 500 going into a big series with the Braves. Watch out. There's going to be some good vibes around here. Baseball is such a roller coaster in terms of the 162. Nats have played just 23 games. It feels sometimes like they play 230 with like all of the different things that have happened. And, you know, they've had games and stretches where we've talked on this podcast of like, oh, you know, this is a tough season and there are some bigger picture issues. And those things, like you said, don't go away. But 11 and 12, especially given the one and five start, I mean, 10 and seven since the one and five start. And the Nats now are six and three without Juan Soto. I mean, if you're Davey Martinez, you would have taken that and run 100 miles with that, that you're going to go 6-3 and three over your first nine games 
without Juan Soto. They are, as the saying goes, staying in the fight despite being without their best player. Without Juan Soto and without Steven Strasburg, you know, and it's going to be a while longer for Strasburg. Soto may be getting closer, but Strasburg, you know, we're still talking a few weeks away. I want to be careful to make this comparison because obviously every year is different. Every team is different. But there are some 2019 characteristics about this team that I've noticed that I did not notice last year. Now, it's hard because I'm not in the clubhouse. I don't have direct access to them to really have a, a sense and a feel for what's going on. But you saw it after the game Friday night when Kyle Schwarber walked in in the Caps helmet, the rally helmet. We got a little more details about how that came about. The Caps wear a Nats helmet after games and give it to their player of the game. The Caps decided to return the favor, gave them a helmet. Davey decided to hand it out to Schwarber after the game. He passed it on to Lester afterwards. You hear them talking about the character in the clubhouse that even when things were going bad for them, they stuck together. These are characteristics of the 2019 team. Ultimately, yes, you need the talent. You need to stay healthy, all the other things if you're going to be a real contender. But I like the personality this team seems to be starting to develop. And maybe, unlike in 2019, they're figuring it out a little sooner and not waiting until they're 50 games in to start solving their problems. Yeah, no doubt. And of course, it's also been a strange season in that the losses have been by a lot, but a lot of the wins have been by a lot. Like that 2-1 inning win on Friday night, that really was the exception, not the rule for this season. Nationals with another pretty sizable victory on Saturday afternoon, 7-2 ends up being the final. There's a lot to get to with the offense, but I think the headline is Patrick Corbin. And have you ever seen a more Jekyll and Hyde start to a pitcher season than what we're seeing with Patrick Corbin? Five starts now. He's been awful in three of them. He's been basically lights out, though, in the other two. I mean, it feels like there's no middle ground right now for Patrick Corbin. But the good news is that it's not all bad anymore. You know, they had that one good start, but now he's got at least a couple of good starts you could point at. He goes out there on Saturday afternoon, two runs in seven innings, four strikeouts versus four hits and four walks, one of which was intentional. Unlike in his previous outing, he threw strikes, 93 pitches, 62 of which end up being for strikes. And I was looking at this after the game. I mean, it's really wacko what's happened here. His three bad starts this season, 19 earned runs in 10 and a third innings. His two good starts this season, two runs in 13 innings. He's like two different people so far this year. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe Gio Gonzalez is the only other one I can think of who might be that erratic start to start. But even with Gio, you kind of like even his best starts at times were the ones where he was getting himself into trouble and finding a way to get out of it and not necessarily dominating. And really, his bad starts weren't usually as bad as Corbin's were. I don't know that many veteran pitchers have starts as bad as Corbin's were. So it is odd. I thought it was interesting that he mentioned after this one that there were some mechanical changes. He felt like he was able to use his lower half more than he had driving, using his his full body. And that helps with the command. But I think also it helped with his velocity. He was consistently hitting 93 in this game. I think he topped out at 94. That's a really good sign. He was locating on both sides of the plate with his fastball, and that allowed his slider to be effective. And even though the results weren't as impressive as that other previous really good start, maybe this one was in some ways better because of that, just the way he looked, the way the stuff looked. This was against, you know, not a great Marlins lineup, and we're going to need to see it more consistently start to start. But I thought this was a a pretty significant step forward for him if he really did find something with his mechanics and that can carry over into his next outing. I think we've learned a lesson by now, and that is not to say, okay, Patrick Corbin has arrived, you know, because we don't know. Like, he's got to do this two, three, four consecutive starts, and then we can have that conversation. I mean, you brought up the point on the last installment of the podcast. It may well be that the Nationals strategically rested Joe Ross in this series so he would start against the Atlanta Braves 
as opposed to, say, Corbin. Like, that is very telling with the kind of season that Patrick has had. But the velocity was key, like you said. I mean, hitting what he was hitting, you know, that was what was so troubling about last season. And even at times this season where the velocity wasn't what you're used to seeing, and you're like, okay, is this guy starting to lose it? Or what exactly are we looking at here? He does do a better job of throwing strikes on Saturday afternoon, which was good to see. And, you know, he doesn't necessarily have like a bunch of dominant innings or even clean innings. He had just one clean inning. That was the top of the third. But not unlike John Lester on Friday, okay, a couple of guys would get on, but he would find a way to weave himself out of the trouble. And he got good help from his defense, which I think we need to start talking about a little bit more. Their infield defense, especially Trey Turner, has been fantastic over the first month of this season. He entered the day at plus five in defensive runs saved, tied for the tops among all shortstop in the major leagues. I'm guessing he's going to go up to plus six after the play he made on Saturday on Jesus Aguiar in the third inning. I don't know if that's exactly how the formula works. It may not just be one great play is a plus one for your DRS, but he was really good. And I think you're seeing more and more the difference he can make. I know Starlin Castro hasn't been perfect at third base, but I think he's been much smoother over there than maybe we thought for a guy who hasn't played the position a lot. I think defense is helping a lot, especially with Lester and Corbin. Corbin, you know, he came through, he he struck out some hitters with two outs, get out of innings and all that stuff. But defense matters. And I think we've seen it in the first two games of this series. Yes, I agree. And I think the defensive metrics are key because nobody watches every pitch of every game. So kind of depending on what you see, that'll influence what you think about a team defensively. Like if you turned on Nats Marlins later in the game on Saturday, and you saw Yadiel Hernandez losing multiple balls in the sun, you'd be like, oh my God, this team is still so bad defensively. It's like, well, no, you got to watch the whole game and see what you're looking at. Understand though, if you do go by defensive run save coming into games on Saturday, the Nationals were tied for first in the majors in defensive run save with the Arizona Diamondbacks at plus 18. I mean, that is a stunner considering how bad the Nats were defensively last season and how bad, truthfully, they've been for years. Like, wasn't just a last season thing. The Nats have consistently been a bottom half of the majors team in terms of DRS for a good long while here. So hats off to them for doing this, at least so far. Defensive metrics, I mean, you want to see them over a long haul. But hey, we're a month into the season. It's not like, you know, we just started last week. And they're doing good things. Like, this is really encouraging to see that. And maybe just maybe a team that on paper, you say to yourself, like, how is this team going to be good defensively? Maybe this is one of those years where they are doing that. You know, they obviously got some veterans, experienced guys at various spots. But especially with someone like Trey Turner, who was bad defensively last year, if he's doing this drastic one season turnaround thing and, you know, obviously can hold that over the course of a season, that is so valuable, especially for a a starting pitching reliant team as the Nats obviously are. I think you're seeing the importance of good defense up the middle. Trey Turner at shortstop, Victor Robles in center field. The catchers have been pretty good behind the plate as well. I think that's something. I think Josh Bell has, you know, I'm not going to say he's been a good first baseman, but he hasn't been a butcher out there. There's a couple of plays that you're like, I'm not so sure about that, but he has not really cost them in the field yet. And you know who else had a really nice throw and almost threw out a runner trying to tag up from third? Kyle Schwarber. The guy's got a cannon out there, apparently. And I mean, that was one of those that like you start to fill in your scorecard with the run the moment that they catches the ball because you're not even thinking there's a chance at a play. And he made it a close play at the plate on a line drive to like, you know, medium left field. That guy has been way more impressive than I was expecting, especially with his arm. You know, let's see how this all plays out. But they have been a better defensive team than we thought. And they need to clean up some little mistakes that still happen. Harrison had an error in this game. But at the most important positions, it feels like they have been above average. And that's a big step up from last year. The Harrison error, by the way, 
He's playing up the middle on the outfield grass in the shift. The ball is hit right to him. That was an example of the shift working to perfection. It was a hard hit grounder by Lewis Brinson. It goes under Harrison's leg, so it was a bad play on Harrison's part. But that was like perfection with the shift, and it's just the guy didn't execute there. So I got a kick out of that when we saw that. Hey everyone, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. So we've all had that dream, right? Tie game, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded. Well, on FanDuel Sportsbook, you get more than one shot to swing for the fences because FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free. That's right, new users get up to $1,000 back in site credit if your first bet doesn't win, and it only gets better from there. Once you have an account, you'll have access to same-game parlay insurance all season long. That's up to $25 back in site credit each day if your same-game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way, you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win. How about the Sunday Nighter this weekend? National League East battle, Mets at the Phillies. If you have a hunch that the Mets can beat Zach Eflin, then feel free to plunk down some cash on New York. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. They've got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code CHAT. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 109 with it, Indiana, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 100-GAMBLER, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia, Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789, or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Are you interested in buying or selling your home? Support for Nats Chat comes from Rachel Levy of Compass Real Estate. By focusing on the personal parts of the real estate process and using technology to simplify the rest, Rachel seamlessly guides her clients through their experience. Rachel uses her deep local knowledge and exceptional customer service to advocate for her clients all across D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. To learn more, follow her on Instagram at Real Estate Rachel. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Deweiler, third base side of the mound, sets and kicks and pitches. Swinging a line drive right field, base hit toward the line. This will score Turner and Hernandez. Rolls all the way to the warning track and to the wall. Headed home is Schwarber, and it's going to be a three-run double for Josh Bell. Bell clears the bases with his first hit of the season right-handed, and the Nationals now lead it 7 to nothing. I got to say this. Ross Detweiler is still in the majors. I always get a kick out of seeing these guys. We mentioned Sandy Leone on the last installment of the podcast. The Nats took Ross Detweiler with the number six pick in the 2007 draft. It was Detweiler who replaced Strasburg in the Nats rotation in 2012 when Strasburg got shut down. And old Ross is still having a career. Nats weren't too easy on him on Saturday afternoon. But how about that? Good for him. Still having himself an MLB career. 68th career appearance at Nationals Park for Ross Detweiler, <laughs> but his first in six years, September of 2015, when he was with the Braves, is the last time that he appeared in a game here. And there was a little bit, you know, when Jerome Horesco announces his name over the PA system, there was like a brief, like a pause, and then people started clapping. They were, oh yeah, Ross Detweiler, I remember him. Yeah, all right, good for him. Credit to him that he's hung around this long for a guy who's not really had that great of a career. <laughs> he's had a few moments, but he's not had a great career. But if you're left-handed, you can pitch for a long time if you can stay healthy and, you know, good for him. But he did not pitch well in this game. Walked the first two batters, loaded them up for Josh Bell. And I thought that was the big hit of the whole game. Josh Bell's bases clearing double, hitting right-handed, opposite field. And I know it wasn't one of those that, you know, off the bat, you're just ooing and eyeing over the contact he was making, the loud sound or anything like that. But I thought both of his hits in this game, RBI single, three-run double, were good signs because he's hitting line drives with runners in scoring position to drive home runs. It doesn't have to be all or nothing with him. It doesn't have to be home runs. It doesn't always have to be loud outs to the warning track. If you can consistently hit line drives in those situations, that's going to go a long way. And I think he seemed pretty satisfied with that as well. The last time we talked Josh Bell in depth, I brought up the launch angle and how that was the big difference, how the exit velocity this season had actually been on par with where it was at in that career best 2019 season. And we mentioned how the launch angle for the season up until that point had been in the negative territory, I think negative uh, four degrees or 0.4 degrees. It's now in the positive territory. It's creeping up there and he's starting to elevate a little bit. He's still hitting balls hard. You know, that was always a thing with Josh Bell's struggles. Like the struggles were painful. There's no doubt about that. But the process seemed to be there from a standpoint of hitting balls hard. And that two-out, three-run double in that five-run fourth on Saturday, that also came on an 0-2 pitch. And with the frequency with which Josh Bell has struck out this season, that to me is a big deal that on an 0-2 pitch, he's able to turn water into wine and drive in three runs like that. So really good to see Josh Bell get going recently. You know, let's see, like he's got to keep it up. He's got a lot, a lot of ground to make up for, but very good game for him offensively at the plate. Jan Gomes. You know, we've seen a lot of Alex Avila so far this season. I think that's been kind of interesting. But Gomes on Saturday, two for four with a homer, a single, and a couple of RBI. Nice to see that. Nationals really did get contributions throughout the lineup. Trey Turner had himself a nice game, two for five, two singles, two stolen bases. Josh Harrison, three for five, double, two singles, and an RBI. The offense perhaps is starting to, you know, we talk about like regress to the mean, progress to the mean a little bit, because some of these guys have felt like, okay, they're not this bad. You know, the offense may be an issue for the Nationals throughout the year, but it's certainly not 
the direct that we saw with those five shutout losses early in the season. I feel like we're starting to see more, okay, this makes more sense what this lineup is doing. Yeah, I agree. As we've said all along, Bell and Schwarber, even if they have bad seasons, they're not going to be hitting, you know, 109 for the season. They're going to be better than that. So that's good. Yadiel Hernandez continues to hit every opportunity that he gets. And until Juan Soto's out, I think you're going to continue to see him high up in the lineup. And Josh Harrison continues to hit. The one guy who I would say is still, they're kind of waiting on and it hasn't quite looked right yet is Starlin Castro. And that's been a disappointment and a little bit of a surprise because he is a very professional hitter and someone that I thought they missed last year when he got hurt. And you would notice the difference of having him back this year. He's come up to bat with runners on base a lot. And aside, I know he did lead the team in RBIs. I don't know if he still does. Aside from some big hits early in you know, the first couple of weeks of the season, he's had some bad at-bats here lately in chances and opportunities that he could have really driven in some runs and, and extended leads and things like that. So they need to get him going right. Overall, I think you do like what you're seeing. You are seeing guys progressing to what they're supposed to be. And here's one. We talked about Trey Turner's defense. He had two stolen bases in this game. He's now got six home runs and seven stolen bases in 23 games this year. You know what that works out to over 162, Al? Alfonso Soriano. 42 homers, 49 stolen bases. There has not been a 40-40 player since Alfonso Soriano out of the Nationals in 2006. There's a long way to go. I think the 40 stolen bases is a reasonable goal for Trey Turner. 40 homers, I don't know if he's got that in him. That would be pretty remarkable. But just the fact that we even have that discussion one month in tells you how good of a start he's off to, in addition to the great defense. Yeah, he's played, if we're being honest, at an MVP level. I'm not saying he'd be the MVP right now, but you talk about all-around performance, offensively and defensively, Trey Turner is doing that. I mean, the guy is slugging 549 on the season. That's outstanding. I mean, that's like MVP territory what he's doing so far on the year. Yeah, with Castro, he does still lead the Nats with 13 RBI, but that to me is like emblematic of how that stat can be so misleading. He's not having a good season offensively. Davey, you know, it was bizarre. He had him as a cleanup batter in game one. That lasted one game. Davey dropped him down in the order for Saturday to that number six spot. Yeah, it's interesting with the Davey lineups. Davey's still trying to figure it out. He's still mixing and matching. It reminds me, for those of you listening who are Capitals fans, Peter Laviolette did this for so much of the cap seasons. Like every game, there was a line change. It was trying to figure out the right combination. And you still get that sense with Davey in the lineup. Have the Nats in back-to-back, I guess they probably have. I'm trying to think of how often like the Nats have had the same lineup in consecutive games this season. It certainly hasn't happened often. I think it's safe to say that. Yeah, no, not nearly as much as you would want. And it's funny because I think coming out of spring training, we had a pretty good sense of what it would look like one through eight, on a fairly regular basis. Maybe the catchers would be changing sometimes. Maybe Zim would be playing instead of Bell. We had a pretty good idea. And then the combination of the COVID IL situation and Soto's injury and Bell and Schwarber off to the bad start and Yadiel Hernandez emerging out of nowhere, it it has kind of forced the issue where he's got to mix and match every day and try to find the right combination. I'm guessing we'll see something different on Sunday because I'm guessing that Zimmerman will actually be in the lineup against the lefty. You would certainly hope so. But It may have to be mix and match for a little while until they start to get the big guys hitting the way they're supposed to until they get Soto back in the lineup. This may just have to be the way they go about it. Yeah, and hopefully that happens soon. But like we said, six and three without Juan Soto. I mean, how many people would have anticipated something like that? Another bright spot for the Nationals on Saturday was the bullpen, which continues to be a strength for this team. You don't have to use any of the A-team. None of the varsity guys are summoned, so you're able to give Brad Hand and Daniel Hudson rest. So those guys will be good to go on Sunday, especially with the Nationals having the off day on Monday. Kyle Finnegan, a scoreless top of the eighth. And then how about Austin Voth in the top of the ninth? First appearance for him since he had that great outing 
Last Sunday afternoon, the 4-0 loss at the Mets, both in that game, three scoreless innings, four strikeouts. He comes into the game, provides a scoreless top of the ninth, three more strikeouts, velocity topping out at 97.1 miles per hour if you go by the data on MLB.com. You know, we've discussed this with both. It seems more of a certainty now than certainly ever before this season. He's finding himself, and the Nats have found a role for him that he really seems to be taking to. He's looked really good so far. This is a seemingly like behind the scenes, but I think a really significant development for them so far. I will admit that based on what I saw from him last year and what I saw from him this spring when he was starting, I didn't have a whole lot of reason to believe that he had a much of a future with the organization. And maybe he benefited in the end from being out of options and the roster issues that they had where they essentially had to put him on the team. There's always been this thought because he often as a starter would be good the first time through the lineup and then would crumble after that. There's always been a little bit of a thought there. Maybe he could play as a short inning reliever, face a a lineup once and that's it. But what has stood out is when he is able just to empty the tank and face hitters for one inning or two innings, he can get the velocity up there. He never threw 96, 97 as a starter. No chance, not even close to that. So if he can actually consistently do that and show that his arm can handle the workload of of throwing in short bursts, but being available two out of three days, three out of four days, that kind of thing, that's a secret weapon that they were not anticipating. I think they felt like he was just going to be stashed away in the bullpen as a long reliever. And instead, he may wind up being somebody they can consistently call upon in, you know, maybe not the most high leverage situations, but as a bridge guy or certainly on these days where you want to avoid using your your A bullpen at the end of a game because you have a, a fairly comfortable lead and he can shut the door and not you know make you have to sweat it or have to warm up Brad Hand in the ninth inning of a game that you lead by five runs. So that is a sneaky, significant development to me of this first month of the season. There's no doubt. I mean, most relievers are failed starters and some of the best relievers we've seen are guys who failed spectacularly as starters. I mean, Zach Britton was a failure as a starter and then became an elite reliever. We've seen it with a lot of other guys over the years. The Nationals have certainly dealt with this. Like, you know, Craig Stammen was a starter, became a reliever. Tyler Clippard, not for the Nationals, but he was a starter with the Yankees, then became a reliever. Brad Hand. Brad Hand, exactly. Like, that's the way it's worked for so many of these guys over the years. And I've said this, and I really believe this, like, not everyone is designed to pitch, you know, five, six, seven innings. Like, you got to find what guys do well and then focus on that. So if a guy is good over an inning or two, then just do that. Like, don't try to cookie cutter everybody into pitching the same way. And isn't it funny, too, for all of the years we have had the same three guys fighting for the number five spot in the Nats rotation, Joe Ross, Eric Fetty, Austin Vogt. Could it be, remarkably, that each guy is finding himself this season. Ross has been a bright spot as a starter. Fetty has been a bright spot as a starter. Voth is emerging as a reliever. Like, who'd have thought that? That all three of these guys would be major bright spots for the Nationals at least, you know, 25 games or so into the season. I wouldn't even thought that all three would be on the team together, let alone all three thriving on the team at the same time. Now, like you said, there's a long way to go. Let's see how it plays out. But these have been really encouraging signs. I don't think it's a fluke what we've seen from them so far. Certainly Ross and Fetty have seemed to turn a corner as starters and Voth is showing that he may have a second career in him as a reliever. Let's see how the arm holds up again with a a different kind of workload than he's ever been used to. But so far, really encouraging stuff. Hey everyone, Tim Shovers here to tell you about Sunday Scaries CBD. Sunday Scaries are specially formulated CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that taste absolutely delicious and are easy to take on the go. Sunday Scary CBD Gummies help you live life scare-free 
by promoting a sense of calm, quieting your mind, and just helping you to chill out and relax. They sent me a care package a few weeks ago. I've been taking it before I go to bed. It's been working very well as I have struggled with sleep throughout my entire life. Here's what they tell you in the box, and I think it would work for many of you. Taken by young professionals, entrepreneurs, college students, moms, and yogis who want a healthy and non-habit-forming alternative for chilling the F out. If that applies to you, then get you some Sunday Scary CBD gummies. In fact, Sunday Scary CBD gummies and CBD oil have won glowing coverage in publications like Men's Health, Forbes, Allure, and Best Products. Today, you can get 25% off your first order with the code NATSCHAT at sundayscaries.com. That's 25% off your first order at sundayscaries.com. Enter code NATSCHAT where it asks for a coupon on the checkout page. Ready to chill out and get some much-needed peace of mind? Head to sundayscaries.com right now to get 25% off some sweet, sweet CBD gummies. Support for Nats Chat comes from Manscaped, which has the best men's grooming tools to get the job done. Fellas, listen up. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for whatever the world throws at it. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all of your male grooming needs. I just got mine in the mail the other day. I'm excited to finally use it. This is the best trimmer on the market for those of you in need of a chest shave. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin-safe technology pioneered by Manscaped. You can also adjust settings to get a length that you like, and you can stay on top of it with almost no effort at all. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower 3.0 Waterproof Cordless Body Trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. For a limited time, subscribers get two free gifts the Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value add, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped Boxers. Get your 20% off plus free shipping with the code WASHINGTON at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code WASHINGTON at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And don't forget to use the code WASHINGTON. All right, so Sunday afternoon, 105, the Nationals go for their first three-game sweep of the season. And it's not just that. The Nationals are looking to have a series for the first time this year where you're three for three in terms of your starting pitching being good, right? We've had this high variance with Nationals starting pitchers this season of one game a guy's great, another game a guy's bad. Like, it's been really bizarre in that regard. Well, John Lester, very good in his Nats debut Friday night. Patrick Corbin, very good in the win on Saturday afternoon. Max Scherzer is going on Sunday, and obviously, in theory, that's a great thing. He is coming off having struggled in that uh, 9-5 loss to Toronto in Dunedin on Tuesday night. Seven runs, five earned in five innings. Seems to me, though, the likelihood of Max struggling in back-to-back starts, especially when he's facing a familiar foe in the Marlins, pretty low. I would think Max goes out there and kills it on Sunday afternoon. I may regret making this prediction, but I feel like he's a pretty sure bet on Sunday. How often have you seen Max Scherzer have back-to-back really bad starts? Very rare that we've ever seen that. And with due respect to the Marlins, who are a scrappy team, and I do like a lot of their young talent, this lineup as currently constructed is not all that imposing. I think it's a lineup that Max Scherzer can look at and handle quite well. He's not going to be facing Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in this game, so that should help matters quite a bit. I have a feeling this is going to be a big time start for Max Scherzer. I'm not a betting man, but I would, I put some good money down on Max Scherzer for a 10 strikeout performance on Sunday. 
For those of you who are on board with FanDuel, note that and uh, go ahead and make usage of that. It is worth pointing out, the Nationals are facing a guy for the Marlins who's been really good so far this year, the lefty Trevor Rogers, 129 ERA over five starts. He's averaging 12.2 strikeouts per nine innings. So we've seen the Nats bats come alive here over these last few games. Hope it continues on Sunday. Might be a struggle, though. Rogers has been quite good so far this season. Yeah, and always interesting when you're now facing the lefty. They really have not faced many lefties at all this year, starters. And that's one of the reasons why Zim hasn't played a lot. I fully expect him to be in the lineup. Maybe he'll even be hitting third. And then there's that that interesting question. We saw it in Dunedin when they did face the lefty, Stephen Matz, and Davey had to decide who was going to be in right field. As good as Yadiel Hernandez has been, he decided to bench him in favor of Hernan Perez, oh, who God. has not had a hit since oh. opening day, his first at-bat of the season. Would they do that again, or would they say, no, you know what, Yadiel, you're hitting over 400 for us. We're going to let you face the lefty. Let's see what you can do for us. If Davey starts Hernan on Sunday, I mean, I'm going to go nuts. No way should that happen. That's insanity if that happens. It's enough, okay? Save Ernan for a relief appearance at a 12-2 loss, all right? Go ahead and do that. At this point, the era of Ernan is over, all right? Let Yadiel rake. He's been terrific so far. Like, don't get too cute with the lineup. That's the thing. Davey's been tinkering with the lineups a lot. And I get it. The Nationals have been very good offensively. But, geez, when you're putting in Ernan Perez, I don't know. Maybe you got to stop tinkering and just let guys have at it here. All right. Well, we have been soliciting for your emails, Tales of Little League with Little League seasons in full effect. We've gotten a lot of great emails with this topic. Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com. Gave you a good one in the last installment of the podcast. We have another one for you here right now. It comes from our friend Mike. And I will not say your last name, Mike, because I'm afraid I'll mispronounce it. But we'll just go ahead and call him Mike P. And he writes this email. He says, as I sit listening on a plane to your podcast and hearing your latest Little League story, what hand are you? I thought of one when I was a kid. I think I am six years old, playing up on the seven to eight-year-old team. I am the youngest on the team and playing right field. During a game, a fly ball comes out to me. I reach up and catch it for the third out. The crowd goes crazy. Parents are yelling and clapping and high-fiving me when I come to the bench. After all, the parents sit back down and congratulate me. My dad comes and says, you should have caught that. It was a can of corn, came right to you, and then goes back and sits down. I laugh about that story all the time. Make the plays you are supposed to make, even when you're six years old. Good lesson. Love the show. Listen every day. How about that tough love for our guy, Mike, back in the day when he makes a nice catch in right field as a six-year-old playing on a seven- to eight-year-old team? I'm sorry, but to Mike's dad, but any six-year-old who catches a fly ball is worthy of a standing ovation in my mind. I've seen plenty of six-year-olds attempt to catch fly balls or attempt to get out of the way of fly balls. And when it happens, it's a big deal. I do not call that a routine play. That is certainly not a can of corn in my mind. Do you know, by the way, why it's called a can of corn? I don't. So this goes way back to when old like grocers would have a, a pole to pull down cans from the shelves for customers. And the cans of corn that were up high were apparently the easiest ones. They would pull it down off the rack and then take their apron and use it as like a basket to catch. And the can of corn was like the easiest one because I guess it's smallest and lightest, something like that. And somehow that became part of the baseball vernacular. A routine fly ball is a can of corn. And that's the story behind it. You know, if there's defensive run save for Little League, anytime a fly ball is caught, that's like plus 50 in defensive run save. <laughs> yes. Okay? 
Fly balls are not caught in Little League. So, Mike, you did a good job. You made a nice play back in the day. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Well, keep the tales coming, good or bad. We love getting them here. Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com. You can always tweet us at the podcast as well, at Nats underscore chat. All Nationals highlights on Nats Chat are brought to you by 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. So Jordan Zimmerman is the lone pitcher right now in the Nationals bullpen. There is Detweiler's numbers. You have to say, he came in and did his job under terrific pressure tonight. Absolutely, Dick. Uh, outstanding performance by the young left-hander. Threw some quality strikes when he did miss the zone. He missed in his favor and gave his team a chance to win. That's all you can ask from a starting pitcher. Cardinals' run was unearned. It came as a result of a sacrifice fly. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.